Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. Um, this week we are doing a completely non-spoiler podcast because we're doing something slightly different. Um, I'm joined today by my regular crew of Anna, Joe, Gerald and Maggie. Say hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. Um, hey, everyone. And basically today we are not going to talk about a specific movie that we've all seen we're going to do basically pop culture show and tell because I think we, we've kind of all seen a lot of really interesting stuff um, over the last you know few weeks or few months and um, not all of it we can all see right as in it's just the the nature of work and everything means that we can't sort of we can't dedicate our time full time to just watching TV so um, we thought it'd be really Although you'd never know it <laughs> <laughs> look let's be clear we do dedicate a lot of time to that. <laughs> But I think we thought it would be fun to kind of get around um, the table and share some of the interesting shows that we've seen. Um, no spoilers, obviously, because um, the people around the table may or may not have seen these shows or movies or whatever it is before. Um, so I'm actually really intrigued by what everybody's brought to show and tell today. So without further ado, I'm going to start um, our pop culture show and tell and I'm going to throw it over to Mags, who's volunteered to go first. So what have you brought for the class, Mags? <laughs> so the uh, miniseries I want to talk about very briefly is one that's on Netflix called Godless. Um, so some of you might have heard about this um, when it first came out on Netflix last year. And it's the first series that I've seen starring Michelle Dockery, um, since her time as Lady Mary on Downton Abbey, another series that I absolutely loved. So for me, this was my first time seeing Michelle Dockery in a role other than Lady Mary, and it is a significant contrast in um, place, in demeanour, and in the character and the setting that she that her character is in. So just to put a bit of context around it, um, it's a it's a mini series. So it's not one of those ongoing, you know, season after season kind of um, shows. It's set in the late 19th century in um, Colorado in the United States. Um, and it focuses on um, an outlaw played by Jeff Daniels called Frank Griffin and his kind of band of outlaws and the horrible violence that um, they reap on um, this community in Colorado. And, um, the relationship between um, one of his band of outlaws who ends up on Michelle Dockery's farm, um, her character's name is Alice, um, and then what happens um, between Jeff Daniels' character trying to find this guy and um, Michelle Dockery um, and her, um, I guess, team of women um, – who need to work together to try and deal with um, this band of outlaws. Um, it sounds like a really um, vague premise, but I'm trying to keep it um, quite high level because it is only a seven-part miniseries. Um, one of the twists, I suppose, and Netflix is really open about it in their previews, um, is that the town that she lives in used to be a mining town, 
um, but there was a huge accident in the mine which wiped out most of the men in the town. And so now the town is actually run by a group of um, women who have had to survive for a number of years without their men. And so they sort of developed a culture of um, being quite strong-willed um, and self-reliant on one another. So that's a bit of the twist as well, which I found quite fascinating in terms of culturally how that um, plays out. Um, I really loved it because um, I started watching it last year after I had seen True Grit and I started to really get into the sort of Western frontier style movies like True Grit and Unforgiven and so on. So I watched it sort of off the back of um, this um, fascination with Hollywood and their take on that sort of Western um, experience. Um, and it was also at the time where um, Darren and I ha had actually been travelling through the United States and had seen the Book of Mormon and then listened to um, the first of the uh, – Sherlock Holmes series, not the Scarlet Letter, the other one, Darren. Uh, a study in Scarlet. Yes, the Scarlet a study Letter in was Scarlet. not a Sherlock Holmes. And that was also set at a similar period of time in the 19th century when the West, uh, the, you know, the West of the United States was being discovered. And that um, experience of being um, an explorer, frontiersman, and the experience of women as well um, uh, during that period of time in that landscape. Um, so that's what I really enjoyed about um, my experience of it. And I think it paints a really interesting, dark, compelling picture. The acting is fantastic. I love Jeff Daniels. I really liked Michelle Dockery in the way she played her character. Um, and I hope I've said enough to... Um, intrigue people to go and watch it for yourselves. Yeah, so can I just add to that? Because Mags and I watched Godless together, and I'm actually really glad that Mags chose Godless, because this is this is actually, it's it's a really, really good Western, right? Like, as in, mm. I when we finished watching it, we were baying for more. We, we couldn't believe there wasn't a second season. I guess the problem is that it, it is a very self-contained story, which I really like about it, because... You know, I hate these things that kind of drag on for the sake of dragging on. Godless has a very specific story tell, and it tells a story, and that's it, right? I kind of felt like, as a franchise, though, they could have taken that sort of Western feeling that they evoked in this series and kind of done it kind of like True Detective, where every season is... Or like Fargo, where every season is a different sort of area. But it's like a... It's a really, really well-made Western, and it's super compelling. It's one of these shows that you can sit down and you can watch in, like... It's like seven or eight hours, but, like, wow. it'll just go in the blink of an eye. It, it's really... It's super, super compelling. And, um, I mean... This I know that Netflix sold it on this sort of conceit that, oh, it's a town run by women. But honestly, like, that sort of gender angle, while kind of kooky, like, well, interesting, I guess, it's... for that time, it doesn't really play into... Like, as in, the story doesn't feel like it's pandering to any of that, right? Like, the f story feels yeah. really organic, which, um, yeah, I think is, is, is really good. And I get, the other thing is that... Um, Gerald would love it because there's a Game of Thrones connection as well. <laughs> so, Jojen Reed is in it. So, yeah, oh, that ticks our boxes. Yes. Game of Thrones connection. <laughs> yeah. Um, One of your less, like, less compelling characters in Game of Thrones, Gerald. I think you liked it <laughs> very much. 
Jojen who? Well, you should you should watch this series then, and then we should have a chat about what happens to Jojen Reed. <laughs> okay, um, Mags, is is that it? Like, I, it, I I second that to be a really great series. So if you guys have the time, and anybody out there listening, you should take a crack at Godless. It's a great western. And and just to add, I know even though it's um, as you say, Darren, it's a bit of a conceit, the whole sort of town run by women. I really do love that it does try to tell the story of the sort of Western frontier experience from a woman's perspective. Mm. 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 Yeah, yeah, it is. Yes, it is. It's it's super interesting. So, yeah. Okay. Um, thanks for that show and tell, Mags. Aranja, do you want to show the class <laughs> what you bought? <laughs> Very recently, in fact, I think we started. When did we watch this show? Like on the weekend we started, or yeah, yeah, weekend we started and we finished it yesterday. We completely binged this show, and Ooh. it's called. Jack Are you Ryan. serious? You finished the whole thing? Yeah, there was like ten episodes, and no, it's it only was, it's only eight episodes. Oh, eight episodes. We stayed up late some nights watching this because it was, it was it was yeah, it's very bingeable. I think so. Again, it's called Jack Ryan. Um. So apparently there are a, a number of movies that have previously been made um, about Jack Ryan, and there are and it's uh, it's it's a book. Is it a book series by Tom Clancy or just one book, Gerald? Oh no, it's a, it's a lot of books, a lot it's of, a lot of very books. bad books. So I didn't know any of this. I only even like the only reason we watched this is because there I was watching YouTube, watching really bad reality TV on YouTube, and what there was an ad for it, um, and it had this really cool sound clip from um, I think it's called Rag and Dolls or something. It, it, the song's called Human, and it just the, the the clip looked great. So I said to Gerald, let's 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 give this a go. So we watched it, and I think we both really loved it. So basically, it's one of those CIA terrorism-type shows, um, very similar to Homeland in terms of the genre. Um, it follows Jack Ryan, who is played by John Krasinski, who is a CIA analyst. He's basically a professor in economics. Gerald tells me that in the books he's a professor in history, but in the TV show he's a professor in economics, and he has been recruited by the CIA to pretty much follow um, financial transactions that are made worldwide to see if any look fishy. And indeed, he spotted um, some fishy-looking transactions He's he's listening on some conversations and he has spotted what seems to be the next Bin Laden, basically. Um, so the show is basically him and his boss, played by Wendell Pierce. Uh, Greer is the character's name. Um, they basically, the whole series is about them tracking down this um, new terrorist threat um, in the form of um, a man called uh, Suleiman who is played by Ali Suleiman, uh, funnily enough. But I think so. I think this does Homeland a whole lot better than Homeland did Homeland. Um, maybe season one of Homeland was excellent, but then we kind of think that it jumped a shark a little bit. Um, whereas I found Jack Ryan really interesting. Um, it does a good job of, well, I actually think it handles issues half well. So it does half a good job of giving you all the perspectives that are involved. 
So you don't just get the Western perspective of, um, you know, how dare these terrorists, let's take them down and destroy them. You also get the perspective of, um, you know, the people on the other side. So why this hatred of the West might have grown, what might have perpetuated it, why even when those people might be trying to live lives that embrace the world and embrace the West, um, certain things that we do here in the West could actually push them towards more extremist views. Um, so I think it does like a half good job of um, putting that across. It's clearly trying, but it's also got a very clear view about who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, which I think is what... Um, detracts a little bit from it, um, it doesn't really create moral ambiguity. Like it tries to show us the backstories of these, of the villains, and it tries to help us understand that perspective and feel something for them. But then it very clearly draws the good guy, bad guy line, which I think um, undoes some of that good work of creating more um, ambiguity between the sides, which would have been a more complex and more compelling show, I think. Um, and look, it's an exciting story. Like every episode is done really well. Like there aren't any boring episodes. Um, I think some of the problems with Homeland was there were at times just boring episode after boring episode all building up to something at the end. Whereas in Jack Ryan, each standalone episode is quite exciting and it ends in a very exciting way, making you want more, um, which is probably why we stayed up so late on some nights um, watching this. Um, it also deals with some interesting themes like guilt and responsibility. Um, so one of the, so I really don't want to say a lot, but, um, so I don't really, yeah, look, I won't, I won't actually talk much about it because I don't want to spoil any of it, but I think it, again, it, it does a half good job of handling issues such as guilt. Um, so very vaguely, it kind of tracks the story of a soldier who is involved in a lot of deaths and how he handles that toll count um, and how he handles the nature of his job. And you can just see um, the damage that is done to him. But then the way he resolves that guilt, I think, is a bit problematic, to be honest. So, again, it just does a half good job of uh, uh, dealing with a lot of difficult issues, which is better than doing a crap job altogether or not even trying to deal with those issues. So I, I do applaud it for that. Um, it sets up a really interesting personal conflict between Jack Ryan and the villain. And again, it does a half job, half good job at this, right? So setting up a personal conflict, I think, makes the show so much more interesting, right? Because the stakes are personal. The stakes are very real. They're not so abstract um, if the relationship is, is a bit more personal. But then it just doesn't really pay that out at the, mm. you know, it doesn't pay it out properly, which I think is, um, again, you know, this, this, look, it is a really good show. I don't want to, I don't want to send the message that it's not worth watching because we loved it. We couldn't get enough of it and we had to binge it through the weekend. Um, it is very exciting. 
I just think it could be even better than it is. It could be like a truly great show if it, instead of doing a half good job as these things that had done um, a properly good job. But like I said, I'd rather they try than um, not try at all and just produce complete nonsense. So okay. we loved it. I think, Daryl, did you love it? Am I speaking to myself? Um, oh, look, I, I like it a lot. Um, it puts an interesting spin on aspects of the <clears throat> Tom Clancy slash Jack Ryan mythology. Particularly interesting is what they do to the character of Jim Greer, um, Jack Ryan's boss. This is James in L. The Jones, books, and in, right? This yeah, is James he, L. He's, Jones. He's James L. Jones. Yeah. In, in the first three movies, and then Morgan Freeman in The Sum of All Fears. Um, he's played by Wendell Pierce. As Anna noted, Wendell Pierce, better known as uh, Bunk on The Wire. And um, he don't, they give him an interesting backstory, and they, there's an interesting twist in the story of Jim Greer's life, which is completely, which is quite distinct from from any previous incarnation of that character. Um, and Jack, Jack Ryan himself is um, quite different as well. Uh, we've had five actors play the character of, of Jack Ryan, including John Krasinski now, the others being, of course, Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford, uh, Ben Affleck, and Chris Pine. I haven't seen the Affleck and Pine versions of Jack Ryan, um, I really like the Harrison, Harrison Ford version because Harrison Ford brought his usual I don't really want to be here um, attitude to the role of Jack Ryan. So Ryan in, in, in his telling of the in his rendition of the of the character is this is this figure is this guy who's behind a desk who really doesn't want to be out and about in the field but is compelled to and is really reluctant to to get his hands dirty but nonetheless finds himself in all these predicaments time and time again. Um, and I know Jack, Tom Clancy himself wasn't a big fan of Harrison Ford's portrayal of the character of Jack Ryan, but I actually found him very sympathetic and compelling. Um, Alec Baldwin was very good in The Hunt for Red October, and many still see him as the best Jack Ryan of all. Um, Krasinski perhaps is not as good as Harrison Ford and Baldwin, but he's, he's still he's still very likable. He's perhaps a bit he's more of an action man than than either Baldwin or Harrison Ford were. But I suppose that's the that's that's only to be expected given because that's, um, that's the, interesting because that's interesting right because um, John Krasinski is Jim from The Office right so yeah. we kind of know him as a guy who sits in an office and doesn't really do very much but you know, this play, is a play. very different role like the yeah. way he I think the way he plays Jack Ryan extremely different to the way that The Office character is played like I think it would be. I think you'd be very, um, very pleasantly surprised at his range, mm. even though it's like it seems like a similar role, but it's a completely different character that he brings to it. And it's, it is very convincing. I think he's very convincing and very likable mm. in that role. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And so his Jack Ryan is more of a field operative than because I, I watched the Chris Pine yeah. one. I can't remember on the plane or something like that. And uh, the Chris Pine one. So. It's interesting to me that is this on Amazon? What's this on? What streaming? Yeah, Amazon it's on Prime, Amazon Prime. Yeah. This is yeah. on Amazon Prime, right? So it seemed interesting to me because um, there had been so many Jack Ryan reboots, right? Like re- relatively recently, they did this Chris Pine thing, and then they decided to do another Jack Ryan thing on Amazon Prime. So I was like, hang on, like aren't they making more Jack Ryan movies as well? So, um, so yeah, it, it seemed to me that it was like, oh, is this just going to be like Jack Ryan Overkill? But um, yeah, I, I guess like you found him to be a compelling character. Um, well, He's very morally righteous, um, but it's not. I don't. I don't. It only got annoying once. Mm, mm. 
I mean, but that is that is a, that is a feature that is consistently a Jack Ryan feature. Jack Ryan is this sort of Boy Scout who refuses to get his hands too dirty when the when the business of the CIA is is murky. And the best example of that is the Harrison Ford rendition of Jack Ryan in Clear and Present Danger, where he really he, is a Boy Scout. The CIA is doing stuff that's pretty dirty. Yeah. For my part, um, there are two things about this show that are sort of kind of drawbacks. The first is. If you go back to the source material, the Clancy material, um, the all the Jack Ryan stories were kind of ripped from the geopolitical headlines. So mm. Jack Ryan was a character born in the Cold War and was was a Cold War character for um, for for a good many of the novels written by Tom Clancy. But he 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 found himself involved in the Colombian drug war at a time when the Bush administration was going after um, Pablo Escobar. He um, and he found himself in, you know, ensnared in geopolitical tensions between uh, America and Japan. Now, the thing is, at a time when Russia has is re-emerging as a major geopolitical foe of the West, it seems a bit dated and odd that um, the story is about, um, uh, you know, sort of Middle Eastern terrorists. Mm. It just seems that. The, 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 the story is not as fresh as it well, otherwise would be. Two, I think season two is going to be about Russia because yeah, um, yeah. I think I think that there's a, there's a hint about that. That that looks to be really promising and interesting. So question, um, question. So is this series based on the novels? Is it like a rewrite no, of Patriot no, Games no, or Clearing Present Danger? No. So it's like it's, it's, it's just takes the character story. and just dumps him in a different, just a completely different setting, right? It's not based on any yeah. Tom Clancy work. No. Yeah. Okay. And the other the other thing that, that that's probably a slight drawback is um, the CIA is just a bit too good and a bit too competent in this show. Um, it, at least in the first in the first couple of Tom Clancy novels, the CIA really was a very hyper competent outfit. And then, starting with Clear and Present Danger, and then with the Sum of All Fears, um, Clancy started exploring, albeit tentatively some of the more ethically murky stuff that the CIA did, the sort of private wars conducted in Latin America, that sort of stuff. Um, this show doesn't give us any of that. There's, there's, there, there, are, there are the mildest hints that US foreign policy might be contributing to the problem, mm. but the show doesn't explore in the same way that uh, Clear and Present Danger did, for example, the unintended consequences of the actions of the CIA. Mm. So... Those, 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 those are the sort of slight drawbacks um, about the show. But I think Anna is right in saying that the show is certainly a lot stronger and a lot more, uh, a lot better paced than the sort of last three or four scenes of Homeland. Mm. Um, to, to that extent, it's well worth watching. Okay, excellent. Okay, so yeah, Mags and I will see how we can get our hands on Amazon Prime and see if we can watch that. Um, okay, Jerry, what have you brought to show the class? <laughs> I want to mention a show called The Deuce, which is the latest um, television series created by David Simon, the creator of The Wire, and George Pelicanos, the great Washington, D.C. crime novelist. Um, the premise is not exactly appealing, Um but I'll lay it out there anyway. It, this is a show about the rise, the, the humble beginnings and the rise of the porn industry in 1970s New York. Um, now, the juice is what is the nickname that people living in 1970s New York gave to Times Square. And it's hard to think of this now because Times Square is this glittering location, very glamorous, lots of neon signs. 
But for much of the 20th century, Times Square was the grittiest, grimiest, most disgusting part of New York. It was essentially uh, King's Cross, with, um, but even more dangerous and disgusting. Um, and in this world, we meet um, – uh, well, let me put it this way. This show is trying to test the proposition that too much James Franco is not enough. Because James Franco oh plays God. two characters. Franco's in this. <laughs> Franco's he in plays, this. <laughs> he, plays, he plays Vincent Martino, who's this sort of middle-class, average Joe, who's sort of recruited by the mob to run a bar called the Hi-Hat because he's responsible and he knows how to run bars and he's organised. Uh, and so he's one character. The other character is his twin brother, uh, Frankie Martino, and Frankie is the complete opposite. Frankie's a reprobate. He's a gambler. He constantly owes debts. Around, around and about uh, to all manner of low lowlifes in New York. Um, and he's sort of a hanger-on um, with, with his brother, uh, Frankie, uh, Vincent. Uh, Vincent, after running the hi-hat, is then recruited to, to open up, to run some brothels by the, by the mob around uh, 42nd Street. Uh, there are a lot of characters in, in this show. So we meet um, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the prostitutes in the show, one of whom is played by Maggie Gyllenhaal, and she's this street walker at first, but she then develops an interest in the porn business because it's safer, it's, it pays better, and uh, she has a measure of control, and she starts becoming really interested in the, in the whole filmmaking process. So she, she sort of explores filmmaking, kind of becomes a director herself. Um, there, are other, there are other prostitutes that we meet in the show, um, and, they're, and they're pimps, and you, can, and you, you see... Um, the very um, exploitative but quasi-romantic relationship. It's this weird fucked up relationship between uh, the prostitutes and their pimps. But at the same time, you see how these prostitutes moving to the porn business suddenly start leaving their pimps behind. They no longer need them. They no, no, no longer need their protection. They no longer need their, their patronage or whatever marketing that they provide. So it, it captures um, it captures a the the business the the business of adult entertainment at a moment of transition when it sort of starts um, heading off the streets and into and onto big and small screens. Um, the show is phenomenally well written. Every character is empathetically drawn. Uh, the performances are great. Even Franco. I mean, even even Franco is good in this. Um, but Maggie Gyllenhaal is amazing. Um, I believe she's one of the most courageous actresses at work right now. I mean, this is a show that understandably has a lot of sex and nudity in it. None of it exploitative, mind you. None of it there for titillation. Um, and, you know, there's, and Maggie Gyllenhaal sort of exposes herself emotionally and physically in what I think is, is an underrecognized performance. She's really, really excellent in this. And it's, she's not just, you know, a cliched hooker with a heart of gold. She's a much more rounded and three-dimensional character um, than, than, than that. Uh, the show also uh, has, a re- you know, has a remarkable verisimilitude in terms of evoking New York in the 1970s. And again, it's hard to think of it now because New York, Manhattan particularly, is, is a happening place. But New York in the 1970s was a very dangerous and grimy, gritty city. Um, New York in the 1970s was on the verge of bankruptcy, um, and uh, you know there was a there was a massive crime wave, and you know th- that period in time spawned a great series of 
New York movies about how the city itself was falling apart. So you have the likes of Taxi Driver, Main Street, Serpico, um, Dog Day Afternoon. Those films with that great as- are also are such richly atmospheric evocations of a place that's going slightly stir crazy. And the Deuce does a wonderful job of um, conveying precisely that same atmosphere. Um, and it's a it's also a a fascinating meditation upon the nature of American capitalism. You know, it is American capitalism has always had an edge of exploitation about it, and this certainly is reflective of that. Um, but you know, American capitalism also is is about grasping and striving and being a bit of a hustler, and that's precisely um, the the sort of um, milieu that the the show depicts. Um, so it really is phenomenal television. There are so many overlapping, um, interwoven plot lines, just like The Wire. Um, but I doubt I doubt the show will be recognised in quite the same way as The Wire, given that um, it's not. It, it doesn't come. The Wire was at the surface a cop show, and that's how it purported to draw people in by being a cop show and then being a meditation upon um, the decay of urban institutions in the United States. There's, there's no sort of surface appeal about this. This is not a cop show. This is not some, um, this is not some action series. This is, there is no sort of sugar um, uh, coating the pill. Uh, it, it, this is a very, very raw drama, and it sort of, it sort of hit, hits you over the head with that very early on in its run. Um, but if you stick with it and if you pay attention, um, the, ro- the rewards are multifarious and profound. Okay. So what is this on? What is the juice on, Gerald? What- ah, it's on, it's on, it's on HBO, it's an HBO show. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it, it is the, it's, it's their sort of, it's in its, it's, its second season has just begun, so I think we, this week just we, the HBO just aired the third episode of season two, um, and uh, it is uh, so it is. It's not easy to get hold of, but um, it's well worth a hunt. It's like a truffle; it's it's hard to get hold of, but um, <laughs> but uh, once you've found it, it's uh, it's something to hang on to. Okay, cool. Well, that sounds pretty. Int- Have you seen this, Anager? Have you been watching this with him? So the thing is, I have to confess, if any TV show looks like it might be weighty or might deal with, like, truly difficult issues, I run away from it as fast as I possibly can. <laughs> I am more of an I – look, I like the action flicks. I like the fun yeah. flicks. Um, I like the sci-fi. <laughs> I like the psychological thrillers. I, I don't want to deal with anything that seems remotely real because <laughs> it's too much for me. So I haven't watched it. Um, nah. And I don't yeah. think I'm going to. You know, I gotta say, like, from the way Gerald describes it, this show does seem artistically really sound, but it does seem really heavy as well. It seems heavy. Oh, look, it, it, it is heavy, but it is the the thing about David Simon is he's a great comic writer as well. That amidst all this doom and gloom, there are moments of pure delight and comedy and laughter, and every episode uh, present. Pre- uh, you know, presents you with a laugh out loud, a, l- a genuine laugh out loud moment. Um, and so, you know, it is, it is, it is heavy, but I don't think it's it's oppressive either. Um, and the 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 dialogue is so 
beautifully written. Um, uh, it, 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 you could, it is, it, it's, you know, to capture that sort of, that the music of the, of the street in the way, in, in the dialogue, um, shows a degree of sort of virtuosity in the writing that, um, that, that that's rarely ever seen on television. Mm. I'm quite intrigued actually, because I love that period of seeing movies from that period of time. Um, and the idea of, you know, um, New York as well, even though it's in its grittiness, some of the best yeah. sort of TV shows and, and movies are about that period of time. So I'm, I'm quite intrigued. Yeah, and and it's it's very different from from Boogie Nights. I know when when the when the show first came out, people kind of compared it to Boogie Nights. Uh, it's it's not like Boogie Nights at all because amongst other things, Boogie Nights is set on the West Coast, the LA porn scene of the seventies. Uh, this show is set in New York, um, so it, it's a bit it's a bit grimier. It's less frenetic than than Boogie Nights. Um, so it, don't don't think of Boogie Nights as as, the, as an antecedent to this. This is quite distinct and has its own identity. Is it like that? What was that movie again? Cowboy. Um, yeah, Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy. Yeah. Is it more like that? Yeah, it's it, it's it's kind of got it's it, it has it, it it delves into a world that's similar as well because one thing I failed to mention about the show is it 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 actually also takes us into the the uh, burgeoning um, LGBTQI scene in New York in the 70s. So you see the sort of underground gay bars and, you know, the sort of fear of police raids um, uh, that, that, that sort of cast a shadow over life being being gay in New York. Um, and so, it, like, like I said, the show is very complex. It presents, it presents so many fronts. It's very sort of richly multidimensional and and one of those dimensions is is being um is being a, a gay man in new york in the 1970s so um mm. it, it, it contains multitudes mm. okay mm. okay hmm okay seems like a weighty show but a pretty interesting show as well so we'll see if mags and i are able to get our hands on it um okay so uh should we move on so um, I think I'm the last one. So I brought a few things to show the class. Um, so firstly, <laughs> so firstly, I was on a plane a few days ago, um, and oh. one of the movies on the plane was Predator. And I think, given that <laughs> we watch The Predator, everyone here should go and watch Predator, because that film is <laughs> fan-fucking-tastic, Right. I rewatched Predator with a critical eye, and that it's such a good film, right? Predator, the original <laughs> Predator film, is a fucking amazing film. It's got a, it's actually got a really traditional three act structure. It's um, like they do these really interesting tricks to kind of like bring you into the characters as a monster. The Predator in the original Predator is a really compelling and scary and interesting sort of monster and there are like there are so many amazing lines and great scenes in predator so if you've seen the predator and you thought that was a piece of crap you should absolutely go see the original predator because that is one of the in my mind still one of the greatest action films definitely one of the greatest action 80s action films but in my mind one of the greatest action films ever made Right. I wouldn't mind watching that with you, Gerald. We should watch that. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. 
I mean, the acting is... Look, the only thing is that the acting... Like, none of these guys are going to win Academy Awards for the acting, right? So you kind of need to, like, bear that in mind. But, I mean, generally, it's like a... It's, it's a really cool... It's actually, in some ways, it's a really cool, simple action film. It's really simple. Dumbs it down. Doesn't really have any world building. It's really just about a specific scenario, right? And that limited mm. scope makes it a super great film. So, as just an interesting, like, advertiser, you should go watch Predator. It's amazing. Okay, so, um, the main thing that I brought, um, to the class today is a show called Erased on Netflix. Um, so to be clear, I'm talking about, so there are two shows called Erased on Netflix, both kind of based on the same source material, but, um, I'm talking about the anime, the cartoon version of Erased. There is a live action version of Erased that Mags and I have yet to watch, but we basically like, okay, so, I mean, as a bit of background, I, um, look, I'm I'm probably a little bit biased here because I'm, 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 uh, like, I, I love Japan, right? I love all these aspects of Japanese culture. Like, I guess on the internet, people would say that I'm a bit of a weeb. Like, there's a term called a weeb, which is like a Jap- Japanese fanboy. And yeah, like, I think I'm probably a little bit of a weeb. I, I don't know. I'm not a full-blown one, but I definitely, like, have symptoms, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that. <laughs> anyway, so, um, like, so... I haven't really watched a lot of anime, like, over the last 10 years or so, but because Netflix is, um, has all these international shows on it, right? It has anime, and it has, like, Japanese TV series, Korean TV series, Chinese TV series, like, TV series from all over the world, essentially, right? Because, you know, they make that local content for the Netflix of that region, and they just ship it over to foreign countries, right? Like, they have the distribution rights, and they put it on Netflix. I love it, right? I love that you can see all this really interesting, different, like, significantly different styles of TV and movie making um, through Netflix. So, I've been watching, like, we watched a few anime series on Netflix, um, some really good, some kind of pretty average, um, some that I really like, and Mag's really hate it (laughs) um but erased is kind of a show that i think both mags and i kind of um were quite addicted to um we probably watched it over the space of like one weekend um we watched it i think in the space of one night actually it's it's quite short i think it's only 10 episodes maybe 11 episodes or something like that, but short episodes like 20 20 something minute episodes right um yeah So it's a cartoon and, well, anime, but yes, it's animated, right? Um, And it, but it's quite, um, it's not like a kiddie cartoon, right? So um, it's kind of this weird, weird premise, which is a mix of sort of, there are kind of like uh, sort of magical or fantastical elements to it, but like they're treated in a sort of, quite a sort of mundane, matter-of-fact sort of way, right? Like, I, I, there's... Like, in the same way, I guess, you know, Counterpart kind of treats that sort of magical door-between-different-worlds thing in a really sort of mundane sort of way. I would argue mm-hmm. that um, Erased kind of treats like that sort of... There is a magical conceit in it, 
but it's treated in a sort of mundane sort of way. I mean, the real premise of it is that um, there is a man that you meet at the beginning of the show. His name is Satoru Fujinuma. Um, anyway, and he has this ability that is, like, it's not even... They don't discuss the origin of it. It's just kind of accepted that he has this ability. That He's like this sort of down-on-his-luck manga artist, right? This down-on-his-luck co- comic book artist, right? He can't really book a job, so as a result, he works at a, a pizza delivery place, right? And in the, in his other time, he, you know, spends it trying to, you know, draw manga to try to get it published, essentially, right? But he has this ability mm-hmm. that he's had basically since forever, where um, every once in a while, he'll just he'll notice this sort of blue butterfly thing sort of fly across his field of vision and he will he'll set himself, like, the moment he notices it, he'll kind of go back in time, like, a certain period of time. It's never set, but he'll go back in time a certain period of time. So he'll experience this sort of extreme deja vu where he's doing something, he sees sees this butterfly, and then all of a sudden he's teleported back, like, five minutes in time backwards, right? And Mm. um, this happens, and what he's grown to learn is essentially that whenever this happens it means that it's kind of like a Groundhog Day thing, right? Like, he's meant to do something, right? He's meant to, like, there's there's something horrible that's about to happen, and he kind of has the ability to do it, to save, Ah. to, like, do something about it, right? And he's kind of quite a cynical, sort of disconnected sort of guy, right? Like, him as a character, at the beginning of this series, he's like a really disconnected... um, but he still kind of does the right thing, right? He's kind of just like, oh, damn it. it. Like He sees it kind of as a chore, right? Okay, well, this has happened. I've got to kind of do something about it, right? But he's not like someone who like makes a big deal about it or like even like really questions it in sort of any meaningful way, right? In some ways, his life is quite um, plain and depressing at the beginning of this series, mm-hmm. right? Essentially, the central conceit of this series is that... Um, so this all happens within the first 10 minutes of the episode, right? So what I'm telling you is not really something that is, like, particularly sort of... I mean, it sets up the premise of the show. But really, like, the main thing with this show is that something happens very early on, and he goes through this... mat. Like, instead of getting teleported back five minutes into the past, he gets teleported back, like... 25 years into the past, back to when he's a kid, right? And he basically realizes that there is something that happened to him in his childhood that he needs to change, right? Something really, Mm. really fundamental, right? And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's all done in quite a sort of, it's not really done in a particularly tacky way. I mean, look, it is an anime, but I felt like a lot of, like, the motivations of the characters were kind of pretty organic. And it, it's kind of like a really interesting story, because most of the story kind of occurs at his in his hometown when he's in year five. But he has, he's like an adult in his five-year-old body. But, like, it, it's a really interesting series, because it kind of tests this idea of, well, do you actually really remember what it was like for you to be like when you were in year five and you know as an adult you kind of think that you do but there's all these little things that you kind of miss and um i mean yeah so it's 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 like a really like interesting sort of premise and then linked to linked built around this is basically there's a huge murder mystery right like there's, 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 there's it's, so the <laughs> whole thing mystery. is that it's a, it's a huge murder <laughs> mystery right and like quite a sort of um like horrifying sort of murder mystery 
that is there. Like, there are scenes here that are in this cartoon that are genuinely tense when you don't really know who is the killer and, like, what is really going to happen, right? So, um, wrapped around this is this huge murder mystery and part of him going back is trying to figure out um, who who this murderer kind of is, right? So, there's a murder mystery, there's this sort of time time travel, but not really kind of time travel aspect to it. Yeah, so... That's all really cool, um, and but I think what really kind of makes this series um, is that I think it, it really is trying to say something. I mean, wrapped within this plot, it is really trying to say something more, right? I think all of these series, that, all of these shows that we've talked about, it's it's not really just about the plot. Like all good shows, kind of try to say something a little bit more, and um, I think it's quite typical of anime now. Like one of the things I've actually noticed in watching more and more anime is that um, there are like these, like there's a lot of like a anime that's made for adults that have sort of quite similar themes, and I think the themes are based around social connection, like. Um, there are a lot of sort of adult-based animes that are basically about how people no longer really connect with each other, right? That you have main characters that are fully kind of disconnected from the world, right? Like, they exist within the world, and they go about their daily routine, but they don't have any real connections with other people, or, like really feel connected to society kind of as a whole, right? There's this sense of like social decay where individuals can exist but not really interact, right? And I think that's actually a very Japanese thing because if you've ever been to Tokyo, like one of my observations when I first went to Tokyo was that it's a city of millions and millions of people but at the same time it could be the loneliest place on earth, right? Because it's literally a city where you can get by without really having to interact with anybody, right? And there's a lot of kind of, like anime now that is kind of based around that premise. Um, so this show definitely ha- like has a lot to say about social connection and the importance of social connection, um, the op- importance of like looking out for each other, that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that this show um, like it's quite anime in some ways in- is that um, like a lot of sort of modern anime talks about um, youth. Right, this idea of um, kind of adults remembering what it was like to be young, like remembering the idealism, remembering the um, the joy, the like the and of obviously the connections that you made when you were a kid. Right, there's a sense that as you become older and you kind of fit within this hierarchy of society, you kind of forget kind of some of the um, the joy and brilliance that kind of you kind of experience as a child, right? You kind of just become this cynical, um, sort of, uh, like, cynical sort of husk, essentially, right? And there's a lot of anime that is, is kind of about adults reminiscing on the times when they really felt like they were kind of alive, right? That they possessed, like, they possessed that sort of joy. And, um... And I think there's a lot of anime also about how, you know, the idealism of youth, um, wh- like, while it is kind of, sometimes it's, it is quite naive and, like, overly naive, there's, like, a certain beauty in that, and that um, you can actually get too cynical 
which is actually not a good thing, right? Like, you should try to kind of remember that sort of idealism and naivety of youth. And this show definitely has that, right? Because physically, this guy is going back to live in his five, like, his um, year five sort of body. Mm -hmm. So, in that sense, like, I kind of feel like it's quite, um, it's quite a good... I think part of the reason I chose this show is that I feel like it's quite a good representation of what modern anime is kind of about, both thematically and um, from a plot perspective. This this is kind of like, if you're watching a sort of modern, well-written, adult sort of style cartoon in Japan, this this is like a really good example of that, because there's kind of like quite sort of serious adult themes around the plot, but then there's also that sort of ana- those anime themes about youth and um, connection with others, right? Which, um, yeah, so... Yeah, so anyway, it's I, I thought this was a really, really compelling show. I thought the central mystery was um, really interesting, kept you on your toes. I, I didn't feel like it was very um, predictable. I don't, I don't, Mags, did you, were you able to predict the twist or not? I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, well, I really enjoyed it as well. I was as drawn into it as you were, and I thought that the, the characters, the central characters, um, were very lovingly crafted, um, and they were able to maintain that balance between the innocence of youth, as you were talking about, that sense of possibility, and, you know, this 30-year-old guy's um, presence within his sort of you know 11 year old body um, he was still ma- they were still able to maintain that that balance which was lovely um, and I also think they did a great job of showing the contrast between sort of re- a regional Japanese life and what that sort of community is like versus a community um, in a big city like Tokyo mm, that's uh, true actually yeah 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 I thought they did that really well in terms of the twist, I think we did predict that, Darren, but that was sort of immediately later in the series, sort of after, I think we, we were more than halfway through and that was when we were like, oh, I think it's this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it didn't detract from um, from the enjoyment of the series at all, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, look, I mean, if, if this is a sort of introduction to anime, I, I think this is like a pretty solid series to watch. Um, it, it's pretty well animated throughout. Like, there aren't... I guess one of the things with watching cartoons that's different from uh, live-action things is that in live-action things, typically the production values are pretty solid throughout a series, because um, I guess the people are still people and they're still acting. Um, in cartoons, often the first episode is beautifully animated, right, as a pilot, and you see this steep drop-off in the quality of the animation (laughs) as the season gets deeper, just because they've run out of money or it's just too much effort, right? Um, I felt like this was a pretty, like, well-animated... I mean, this this show is not going to blow your socks off for animation, but the level of the animation is consistent throughout, which I think is a bonus, right? This is not a show that has, like, huge fight scenes and laser beams and robots and crap like that exploding everywhere, right? Like, this is a very grounded... Well, grounded as as much as you can get, I guess, right? Where you have time travel and that sort of stuff (laughs) happening. Um, So, yeah. So, So, Dad, on the scale scale of... uh, On on a scale from Pokemon to Ghost in the Shell, 
what's the animation? Where does the animation stand? Which which end of the spectrum is it closer to? It's definitely not Pokemon, right? Like I've, when you watch it, like the themes are so. <laughs> it's not Pokemon. Um, it's. I would argue that like it's more accessible than Ghost. It's definitely on the Ghost in the Shell spectrum. It's the. The animation quality is definitely not Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell is one of the most beautifully animated films ever made. Um, but um, it's way more accessible than Ghost in the Shell, right? Ghost in the Shell is so fucking inscrutable. I mean, let's be honest, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ghost in the Shell... There's a resolution to this. <laughs> yeah, like, Ghost in the Shell is basically there to try to make you scratch your head and think that it is deeper than it actually is. Right. Um, look, uh, Ghost in the Shell does have substance. I'm I'm being faci- a little bit facetious here, right? But this is this is a more, much more eminently accessible and understandable anime. I feel anyway. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things I really loved about it was it explored that idea of relationships um, and the different types of relationships you have throughout your life, mm. um, and the ones that you build in childhood and and what they mean and how. Um, and whether or not they grow with you or they don't. And I thought that was quite a beautiful exploration, actually, of sort of childhood friendships and what, and how they, what they are in the future as well. Yeah. My, my only real criticism of this is that the final resolution is a little bit naff, right? Like the final resolution. Oh, that's a shame. It's, it's, it's don't a little, it's a little, it's a little Stop. bit, it's a little bit cheesy. <laughs> But I, I think it's actually quite for, forgivable overall, right? Like it's like it was mm-hmm. it was something that I watched was like oh, okay, well I guess I guess that was okay. But like overall, like in the grand scheme of things, uh, I felt the show still kind of held up pretty well. So um, yeah, I think yeah. If you haven't watched anime though, it definitely will be a bit of a cultural experience. I think um, I'd actually be very interested in understanding what people who don't watch anime think of it right like whether the cultural aspects are um so disconcerting that it makes it kind of difficult to watch um i've only ever watched um what was that gerald what was that that the anime that we watched about the boy (laughs) 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 wow (laughs) yeah i know i know um last airbender Last Airbender. Because oh my I just God. find it really hard to watch a cartoon. It's not even, it's not the content, it's the cartoons. And Did the... you really watch the whole of The Last Airbender? That's like seven seasons no. or something, isn't it? <laughs> we watched, didn't. Watched, no. watched the first season. Oh, okay. <laughs> Look, this, this is... It's the animation. I, I, I find it jarring and difficult to watch that. The, you know, the way the, the characters are drawn and the exaggerated features and the the, the sort of the, the lack of flow. Mm. Like, I just find it really hard to watch that. And Yeah, but maybe I need to yeah, so, over that. So to be I clear, Avatar The Last Airbender, I think, is a really well-written children's cartoon, right? Mm. But I don't feel like it holds up. Like, if you were to put it against... It's not an adult show. It's not an adult show, right? No. If you're watching it with, <laughs> no. If you're watching it with your kids... You'd be like, ah, oh, this is a pretty good show, right? Like, as an yeah, adult, we I watch think... Peppa Pig. Yeah. And sometimes I think that's a pretty good show. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what, what was that? Um, the the anime movie, Darren, that we were talking about the other day. Your name. Uh, your name. Oh, I think Anna will love that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So your name okay. is actually in some. So that's also on Netflix. Your name is a movie, but your name is, um, 
it actually shares a lot of if it's kind of, it shares a lot of themes with um, Erased actually. Like you can definitely see parallels in kind of like the thematic core of those films. But Your Name is a romantic film, right? While Erased is a murder thriller. <laughs> but they share. Um, <laughs> More up your alley, actually. <laughs> I, I am more of a murder thriller than a, yeah. a romantic movie person, I must say. But I have to say, your name is actually a really romantic film, right? Like it's it's actually one of these films that when you finish watching, you're like, ugh. As... It's a bit. It's a, yeah, there's an epic element to it. I think. Yeah. Okay. We'll give yeah. it. A, I think we need to give one of these shows a go for sure. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I think you should like if you like sort of murder thriller more, you should give yep. Erase a call. It's it's okay. definitely. Yeah, like, and to be honest, I'd be really interested in hearing your opinion because, um, like, Mags and I, well, let's be clear, I forced Mags to watch a lot of <laughs> Japanese shows and a lot of Japanese cartoons, so she's become more and more used to it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I'd be really interested in seeing um, how someone who yeah. hasn't really been exposed to it reacts mm. to it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, we really, really enjoyed it, so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, look, I, I think we've all sh- shown and told our, um, told, I guess, shown and told, is, is that, that's a past tense of that, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we've got, we had four very interesting shows. We had Godless from Mags. Definitely, if you're into Westerns or just you're a loose end and you kind of want to see something on Netflix, which is really solid, watch Godless. Um, from Anager, we had... Jack Ryan, is that what the show's called? Jack Ryan? Yep, Jack Ryan. Easy to watch, fun, exciting. Yeah. That's on Netflix, uh, not Netflix, that's on Amazon Prime. Netflix direct competitor. So, <laughs> yeah, go, go get Amazon Prime and go watch Jack Ryan. Um, from Jerry, we had The Juice, um, which is on HBO, which would be on Foxtel. Is that right? Sure. Yes, yeah, it should be. So the Deuce, D-E-U-C-E, as in the tennis lingo. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's great. Yep. Okay, cool. So that is about porn in New York, if you're interested in that, um, in the 70s. And, and, I... and who isn't? <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely interested in one of those things. <laughs> um, and... I put forward Erased, which is an anime series on Netflix, which is kind of like a murder thriller time travel type show, which is kind of interesting. And most importantly, all of you should watch Predator because it is an amazing (laughs) action film. (laughs) Okay. On that note, I think we're done for this week. Next week, we're going to be back with hopefully... A movie, I think, but we'll have a yeah. yeah. I think we'll we'll have a little bit of an internal discussion. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody, to a slightly different format of Pop Culture Double Date. We hope you enjoyed it, and um, yeah, we'll see everybody next week. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.